Hello and welcome back to episode 12 of the Eloquent in the Room podcast. I suppose you could call them the Dirty Dozen. (laughs) If you were a prude... Cooper and I'm extremely pleased to present to you the second half of my conversation with Betty Martin, author of The Art of Receiving and Giving, The Wheel of Consent. As I mentioned last time, do yourself a favour and visit bettymartin.org to check out her fabulous free videos, each of which walk you step by gentle step through the Wheel of Consent model. Meanwhile, If you didn't listen to the first half of our chat, stop what you're doing right now and go back and do that, and then come back. We'll wait. (laughs) Kidding! Uh, That joke never gets old. Or does it? Um, Okay, here we are. Part two of Adulting Consent, the latest series. I'm literally picking up exactly where we left off. But I'm happy to say this conversation did absolutely neatly divide into two parts. The first half was us talking about how Betty got her groove on in the sacred sex therapy biz, which was a fascinating convo. In this half, we touch on the interesting, intriguing, powerful, beautiful, yet sometimes triggering and scary phenomena of how physical touch can access our emotions, as well as our state of arousal. I love being the proverbial guinea pig in these conversations. My own personal issues can be exposed at these times, and I'm more than happy to reflect on them. In fact, I was speaking to a friend last weekend, and we were talking about that episode, and she mentioned that when I talked about people sucking energy out of the room, she was absolutely on board with what I was saying uh, until Betty put her spin on it, and then, like me, (laughs) she went, because Betty managed to turn that on its head in a way that was undeniably logical. you got to own your own feelings, folks. Finding Betty has helped to give me a clearer path to follow because my goal is to explore the topic of consent from many angles in the least triggering and most life-affirming and empowering way possible. Obviously, women of mine and Betty's generation see things a little bit differently because we do have 2020 hindsight, (laughs) and our minds and bodies have evolved through decades of experience, good and bad, between us. Well, not between us, but combined between, yeah, you know what I mean. And here we are feeling pretty much the same way about how beautiful sex can be when the focus is on it as a sensual act and the persons involved are fully respected and understood and they understand themselves more fully and consent therefore is at maximum potential because everyone's turning up for the same or similar mindful, respectful, kind and loving experiences and generous experiences and potentially explosive experiences. Take my word for it. Um, This is not to say it fetishizes romantic love, but it does destigmatize sexual pleasure for its own sake without necessarily sexualizing and exploiting other people in the process. It's all about being self-aware and mindful. That kind of sex positivity, to me, involves consent with a capital C. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to know what you're allowing. Don't walk in blindly, so yeah. It's such a basic thing that we overlook so much, so trust Betty to get us back on track. Because otherwise, you know, sexual pleasure for its own sake can end up with some of us giving and receiving mindlessly, especially when young, inexperienced women are having sex because it's expected of them and they give no mind to their own pleasure at all. 
It's performative. That's not sex positivity. It's kind of sexual obliviousness. Uh, there's quite a few ways to go when discussing sex positivity. In fact, I'd like to appropriate a term more often used by the LGBTQIA plus community and call it the sex positivity umbrella. The sex positivity umbrella. Ella, Ella, Ella. Yes, I'm making light of it, but when you're talking about consent and sex, you're going to bump into people's triggers and prejudices and Achilles heels. I know my Achilles heels are stabbed every day when I look at how some other people view sex positivity on social media. However, if you go back and listen to my orgasm series, you'll notice that I took great delight in seeing the irony of being labelled a slut at 17. I think the most hilarious part of the slut moniker is it's most often used by people who want to fuck you or who have fucked you and have hard feelings for whatever reason. So it's really hard to take that seriously as an insult. And I knew this in 1978. I've always been what you would call sex positive, but that doesn't automatically mean my version of that is the same as most people's. I'm not a big fan of porn, for example, but that's a topic for another podcast. There are so many levels and nuances to everything, and it doesn't really take much sometimes to trigger yours truly. Not sure if I've mentioned it before, but I'll say it now. I'm a recovering victim of PTSD and I do have generalized anxiety as a result. I'm so far ahead of where I was a few years ago, but the way forward for me when talking about these specific topics of consent and sex positivity has to be gentle and persuasive. And I can hear a plane going overhead. Can you? (laughs) This gentle chat between two women who love to see the funny side of things while both taking it all quite seriously has been such a joy for me to broadcast. We're all so beautifully complex and so are the topics of sex, love and mental health and the cognitive biases we all have about the whole darn shooting match. Bit by bit, I'm debriefing all of this with you, dear audience. I love that these interviews I've been doing taking part as interviewer and interviewee have allowed me to be quite forthcoming without feeling too self-conscious. And this part of the interview really highlights that. At one stage during the latter part of this interview, I was feeling quite vulnerable and I'm happy to share that with you. Vulnerable. (laughs) Vulnerable. Yeah. Not vulnerable. Vulnerable. Um, Look, I may be an adorably queer old lady with a potty mouth and a love of bad puns and sloppy analogies, but in this particular episode, I really feel like I was giving voice to something that not many of us do, and that's to mention just how fragile we can all be at times, simply when we are being touched. So here we go. It's back to me and Betty. I haven't got, we haven't got enough time to talk about so many things that I want to talk to you about, Betty. Um... I, I guess for, from a personal point of view, because I'm not a practitioner per se, I feel like I've been an unpaid practitioner a lot of the time. <laughs> but what woman doesn't think that? Um, because, you know, I'm like when I, you know, you have a picnic, you take um, take all your rubbish away and everything. I like to leave people better off than they were when I, when I met them. Even if it's just having had a conversation online, someone trying to, this is talking about dating, I'm, I'm not dating at the moment, but, yeah. you know, having that conversation, I would ask people why they were asking me questions. And yeah. uh, after a while I, I, I knew which conversations to shut down, but there was something in me that wanted to s- disabuse people of their approach, their condescension oh, yeah. or yeah. their pre- preconceived ideas because I want if, you know, you're not respecting me or you're not hearing me or seeing me right now, I would like to adjust that so the next time you talk to someone else, you might go into the conversation with that. I want, I'm want. Yeah. i thinking of other people that they're yeah. going into I contact totally with. That. Yeah, and same with having sex, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just lay out for them who I am, what I want, and when I say want, it's a really simple thing. It's connection. 
for me the sex part is a no-brainer so I just want that person to understand um that I want permission and I'm giving them permission to care about me during the exchange and I mean I mean not just it's and it's not a deep emotion but it is but it isn't but it is it's it's a connect it's just connection it's really hard to put into words um but what I find um and the thing holding me back from going into it as a practice because I care about it so much, buddy, <laughs> is, is the language around these things. I didn't grow up with religion mm-hmm. um, and I didn't grow up with formal education or like tertiary education or, or whatever. It, you know, I was just mm-hmm. a very, very simple young girl with very modest aspirations that, you know, I, I developed more interested things as I became a woman. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but what I'm noticing, particularly in social media and in therapeutic practices and conversation and language around sexuality, um, obviously we talk about sex positivity, which is, I guess, as opposed to Mm -hmm. Puritanism, Mm -hmm. um, we want to reduce people's moral, uh, shame around sex. Mm -hmm. Mm Um, and we're saying, Let's just take religion out of it. But we're also having words like sacred mm-hmm. and ritual and mm-hmm. goddess energy and mm-hmm. all of these sort of interesting um, phrases, which I like. Mm-hmm. I really like them. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel like at the end of the day, it's a word to give you permission to like your body to give you permission to like pleasure. So it's still a, a, and to give you permission to connect with someone else Mm -hmm. and calling it sacred. I love it. And I think, yeah. um, And worship. Uh, You just said that Mm -hmm. you listened to the conversation that I had Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Jesse and they used the phrase, I want to be in full worship of that person. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, about the experience uh, or the experience I would like to have with someone I do care about is mm-hmm. that 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 feeling of worship. Mm-hmm. So have you, anal- did you have a religious upbringing? Have you ever analysed within yourself this urge that we have to um, fill this hole within ourselves either with religion or with relationship energy that feels... Um, worshipful it's still to me it's it's almost two sides of the same coin it's embodied by music artists like madonna who Mm -hmm. brought catholicism and worship and sexuality together and Mm -hmm. florence welch does the same thing she she Mm -hmm. a lot of her imagery is ceremonial and and stuff Mm -hmm. And I feel weird in churches, but I also feel weirdly aroused in churches. So, <laughs> so how much, have you ever thought about how much of what you do and how much of what it is being human is um, the church of humanity or just like, just put your phone down, turn the television off, let's go out into the forest, let's just be human beings together. And how much of that is our sophistication as human beings or how much of it is our naivety, you know? I'm like, am I really going (laughs) right off the rails? (laughs) No, no, that's a great question. Um, I totally agree with you that calling something sacred is a way to give ourselves permission to pay attention to it. Mm. And for some years, when in my early exploring days, um, you know, we would talk about sacred sexuality and it was kind of a thing. And, um, and then I realized, largely through getting to know prostitutes who were not doing so-called sacred work, but were just doing sex work, mm. you know what? It's either it's all sacred or nothing is sacred. Like mm. th- this kind of sex is sacred and this kind of sex is not. Like what's that about? That just continues the same split 
that we already have. This is sacred and it's good, and this is profane and it's bad. Fuck that. Good girl, bad girl. Mm. <laughs> this know? is this is where I think society is coming to the thin ed- thin edge of the wedge now. Yeah, because a lot of everything's becoming conflated, and people's individual. Uh, I use the word a lot, authenticity, but I suppose it's a hackneyed term sometimes. But but what is right for you and what feels right for you could be something that you have adapted from a previous thing that wasn't right for you. It was kind of wrong for you. That's where I that's where I'm at. I was like I was under the thumb before, but it gave me orgasmic potential and now I use it for good instead of being under the thumb. Like it's sort of yeah. like mm, I feel yeah. empowered. Mm. Of course we adapt what we've been given. I yeah. mean, that's what we do as human beings. I, I was raised um, Methodist, which means that you're supposed to be good. By all means, just be good. Yeah. Like, that's, what I could, that's what I could sum up my whole religious upbringing was be good yeah. and be nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we adapt things that have been hard for us. Um, there's a book called The Erotic Mind by um, I forgot his name. He'll come in a minute. Um, but he talks I'll look about it up how, and I'll drop it into the show yeah, notes so that people have access. He, to it. he talks about how we take um, things that have been problematic or distressful and we eroticize them as a way to heal them and put ourselves back together. And so, um, so we can do this with playing with power, for example. Mm. Power is just, it seems to me, inherently erotic. And, um, you know, you can play with power exchanges in all kinds of interesting ways, mm. um, both physical and mental and just all kinds of ways. Um, and, yeah, I think we... We our eroticism is largely cultural, I think. Mm. I mean, we have, you know, we're monkeys, so we have the urge to, to fuck. Mm. But everything else that's that erotic is a much bigger idea and it comes a lot from our ideas about who we are and what turns us on and who this mm. other person is and you know, it's just a much bigger, richer thing than the than the urge to fuck, um, and and I think it's largely cultural more than we probably want to admit to ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, you know, I just came in into my head, but I, I particularly with women and their impression. I suppose you can't have one without the other, really. It's so it's not exclusive to women, but their impression of themselves once they become cognizant of who they are what they look like and the effect that has on other people and all that sort of stuff and you you get to a point where you do become a bit more for what of a better word enlightened about these things and you kind of erase previous ideas about what you thought and you you go into it with a whole new understanding mm-hmm. of things and you, and sometimes you think it'd be good if we could put that in a pill, <laughs> or a drink, or or, mm-hmm. or some sort of uh, erase. Like, can we all just find a level playing field somehow, and erase the layers of um, perception and ego and conditioning and religion and culture and all that sort of stuff to save us this agonising journey. <laughs> In our lives, because well, there are I, some shortcuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's the thing. I, I hate like you see what people go through. Like you want to plant, I you know, yeah. certain seeds of sure. understanding, but but it seems like overcoming conditioning is might be age specific sometimes. Whether it's a brain development so, thing, or I'm I'm not sure. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I know people who are having aha moments in their teens that I didn't have until I was in my 40s. 
yeah. and vice versa. And yeah. so, yeah, I, my guess is that it's, it's a really complex mix of your own inherent temperament, your upbringing, your culture, your religion, your family, what it, things you're exposed to as a, you know, over the course of your life. Um, I feel very lucky that I grew up in the hippie years because I feel like that gave me a foundational understanding of the fact that um, things are not as they appear and what mom and dad told us are not true. Mm. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, and and the foundation a, of hippie is, a, is love. The foundation of hippie is love. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. People think of free love, but the word love is not irrelevant yeah and <laughs> to the hippie we, yeah it's a universal love yeah and we were as fucked up and hateful as anybody else mm. you know? but um and we were sexist and racist as anybody else mm. and, you know we thought we were making huge advances and i think we did make some advances and obviously you know there's more to do so yeah anyway yeah. absolutely so yeah i think I think we're very complex mixes of all those things. And we have our, a lot of our aha moments depend on having experiences and, and of what we're, and the, having experiences depends on what we're exposed to, what we have an opportunity for. Do you find that, because um, um, I'm, of the school of thought that uh, a lot of our barriers towards not just pleasure but orgasm for women is um, not necessarily knowing which parts of their body work but having the, um, the attitude towards allowing pleasure and being oh, present yeah. and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that has more, is more of a factor than knowing your body parts well that's that's where we 100 yeah. percent agree mm-hmm. um how do you feel about the the per- pervading um press <laughs> being about body parts like um to the exclusion of like uh it feels like Every other day, maybe it's indicative of the accounts I follow or whatever, but every other day it's um, this is your clitoris or jokes about men not knowing what it is or, you know, if if you meet someone, you need to tell them that you have a clitoris and clitoris, 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 and yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's something we should know and it, it, it's part of sex education for me but orgasm is uh the sum of so many other parts do you how have you evolved if I may ask the personal question orgasmically um as a result of all the teachings and learnings and, and stuff that you've you've experienced like did you go from feeling one way genitally focused and then discover a whole world or was there always part of you that um was always engaged with your entire physical being Hmm. i was very full body focused i wasn't particularly genitally focused It, it was you know i i grew up in the era when nice girls didn't fuck but boy we had some great petting Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, we had some great petting, and um, and and I love that. You know, I I yeah. learned to love just fondling and smooching. You know, I think having that uh, oh, that hesitation great. around uh, intercourse did some of oh, us favors, yeah. definitely, because the anticipation was was there, um, mm. and the the seed that you you're. Um, that there are that there is real genuine ecstatic pleasure to be had in every part of the journey before like like foreplay petting whatever we want to call it uh-huh. and and because you weren't spending all night having intercourse <laughs> right. you're spending yeah. all night doing that and you think yeah. wow yeah. 
I, you know, I just, yeah. Um, in, in playing the three-minute game, it can be anybody. But it's, it's best to learn it without genitals. Yeah. Because once you're on genitals, it's very hard to learn something new. You go right back to your impulse to get the job done. Um, yeah. So in, in playing with the wheel of consent in the three-minute game, uh, it's, I encourage people to start without any genitals on the menu. Have there been um, particular uh, workshops or, or treatments or, or whatever that have resulted in uh, arousal pleasure being received in highly unusual ways that even surprised you? Oh hell yes! <laughs> well, that's, I thought. Well, now that we've we've talked about clitoris for a while, I thought let's 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 just also plant the seed of uh, fingertips. How cool are they? Or earlobes, or whatever whatever else yeah. it may be. So, is there anything? Whether it's something personal or something that Any, someone has experienced. Any body part can be incredibly pleasurable. Any body part can turn you on, depends on who's touching it, how, why, and what you're thinking. Like this idea of erogenous zones just makes you want to gag because yeah. anything is erotic, it is erogenous, if that's where your attention is. Yeah. Like, and your genitals, I mean, they have lots of more nerve endings, so they're very sensitive, but they're not inherently erotic. I mean, you go to the Go to your gynecologist. Is that erotic? No, probably not. Yeah. But it's those, you know, it's your, your body parts. So, um, yeah. It, yeah. It, what's erotic doesn't have to do with what body part it is. It yeah. has to do with your intention and your attention <laughs> and who it is and what agreement you've made and, yeah, lots of stuff. And one thing I wanted to bring up with you too in regards to an experience I had, and you might be able to characterize it as um, something that you've experienced in your workshops and stuff. But again, to the the Tantra workshop night that I have experienced mm-hmm. a few times, one particular time it was about consent specifically. Um, the men were in one, uh, had, had a uh, talk given to them in a different room, women in another room. Then when we were to come together, women were to stand socially distanced apart <laughs> with mm-hmm. their eyes closed, and this is nothing to do with COVID but everything to do with the distance mm-hmm. part, right. um, with their eyes closed and men were um, then to mill around and take the opportunity to approach with touch and note body language or attention or intention or something shift within the female as to whether or not they start out with touching yes so the idea is they might put preferably place a gentle hand on the woman's shoulder Mm -hmm. and and um it was like a uh, 30 seconds sort of um, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and see what happens. And so from the point of view of being a recipient to that, it um, it blew my mind how much, and it's kind of that energetic thing I'm, I was referring mm-hmm. to earlier, um, you'd feel someone place their hand on your shoulder. They'd either be f- a person who is naturally adept at giving comfort, and you knew that it, from the moment their hand... Mm-hmm you felt the energy of their hand relax you. Mm-hmm. And um, at that particular time in my life where I was feeling a lot of emotional turmoil after a relationship breakup and stuff, I found the comforting hand released an emotion, like a mm-hmm. very strong emotion that I never mm-hmm. really, really imagined. Um, at other times someone would place a hand and you'd you'd feel them sort of like tapping very, very tentatively and you find yourself reaching for that person's hand to give them permission Mm -hmm. to touch you. And so it was a really nice headspace to be in from the point of not only um, giving consent but enabling someone else Mm -hmm. to have um permission to mm-hmm. try 
mm-hmm. and be uh, tactile or whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, in that moment. Um, but within the, that exercise, I think I was uh, tapped or touched on the shoulder um, by, you know, half a dozen different men. Not all at um, once. And we were told to um, or men were told to respond to what they sensed. So in the case of the person who put their hand on my shoulder and had I had an emotional reaction, tears started streaming down my mm-hmm. face and mm-hmm. his instinct was to put his arms around me. And at that moment they changed the exercise to incorporate music and they music came up. So we started to dance and our hands touched. Um, he put his arm around my waist I ha- and we started touching fingers in a tactile way and within mm-hmm. a split second my tears were um, extreme arousal, like I was feeling mm-hmm. really turned on by being there sure. and it was, it was an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. Now, this gave me, this is what really, really planted the seed in me of how much of our intention can be misread, misinterpreted, mm-hmm. or mis or felt in a different way, and un- yeah, yeah, and understanding yeah. what consent is within the realm of what I'm consenting to, and vulnerability, and all of this really, mm-hmm. really cool stuff that human beings don't really take into account when they're talking about intimacy or interaction mm-hmm. or sexual in- uh, interaction mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So. I guess what I'm trying to ask is how much of that are you able to um, explain in regards to uh, when you're when you're giving workshops or, or talking about consent or whatever to explain or to help people rationalize just how tactile they are and just how much emotion as well as erotic and arousal of feeling can be triggered and how to be gentle with themselves in those moments well we don't talk about it we do it oh okay yeah Mm. so when you when you're in this experience and you're you you found that you were certainly suddenly aroused Mm. and you were dancing what are you saying that that had to do with consent? Are you saying that you weren't, you didn't, you weren't expecting it, you didn't feel good about it, or he, you thought he misinterpreted it, or what is it you're saying there? I feel that, um, personally speaking, at that moment, um, this person, and I had my eyes closed. Another person took over the hug at some stage and, mm-hmm. and I don't even know who that person was because I have my eyes closed, yeah. which is a cool thing. I think yeah. it's, yeah. it's quite an interesting thing. Um, is that both emotion and arousal were hunger in me mm-hmm. at that were triggered by physical touch. Mm-hmm. And, course. hey? Of course. Yeah, so that, that sort of made me realise, okay, me as a person and sex, our relationship is changed, is I think forever changed because of my life experiences, my emotional mm-hmm. condition, my anxiety, all that sort of stuff. So I know how to, uh, because of that experience, I know how to um, allow for feelings to surface mm-hmm. or... Mm-hmm or create boundaries or, or whatever. For me personally, I kind of have to abo- avoid, I know I have to avoid physical touch because I'm a lightweight emotionally and arousal. Mm. So how do you, like, what, when I say this to you, what's, what's your, what's the conversation you would have with someone around that? Of course. <laughs> I love that. When, I love when that. We, I love that. When we are touched, we feel things. Mm. Of course we do. Yeah. That's what touch is about. And sometimes with some touch, we feel comfort. Sometimes it changes and it can change in a moment. 
And this is the nature of human beings with nervous systems and emotional systems. And this is part of the reason that we touch, so that we feel things. Yeah. yeah. And, and it can totally surprise us. And it can be very deep. The feelings can be amazingly deep. And we may have no idea what they're about. And yeah. that is fine. Mm. Because that's our, that's our nervous system and our brains doing their job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think we, as much as we can, we want to be, um, have compassion for ourselves, for our feelings, because feelings are just feelings. Mm. And a lot of us avoid them because, God, you know, we don't know, we're, we've never been taught what to do with them. The problem is not having feelings. The problem is not knowing what to do with them. Mm. And so we avoid all of them. And so when then you get this hand on your shoulder and all the tears come, and then we think, oh, but shit, now I've got feelings. Now what do I do? Yeah. But you just let yourself cry for a minute, and then they'll be gone. And, yeah. yeah. Is, why, why, why do you think we, we as a society seek to suppress emotions from the moment children start Your crying? Attention. If they fall over, we go, there, there, stop crying. That's the first thing we say Your to kids. Attention. So it's all about misbehaving emotionally yeah wow yeah Mm -hmm. also i think you know none of us were were really supported and taught much about our feelings Mm. and so when our children have feelings we sure as hell don't want to see that because then it just brings it all up in us and we ain't going there we don't so gotta shut up or see it as weakness just carried it along yeah yeah but yeah, and different cultures, you know, some cultures are more comfortable with feelings than others, of course. Mm. Ours is just about the worst. Well, I'm not sure that's true. I think there's some worse than ours, but there are definitely some better than ours. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, yeah. probably so many things that we yeah. don't know about cultures that, you know... <laughs> Yeah, we're just and, like and some, and it depends on your gender too. You know, little boys are taught it's okay to be mad but not to be sad, and little girls are taught it's okay to be sad but not to be mad. And yeah, you know, do you do you see a day where we might possibly touch on some of these subjects with kids from a young age just to help them regulate? Oh, I think their own emotions. People yeah. are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, is it enough? No, but it's, uh, I, you know, there are people who are teaching parents. There are, um, you know, some s- schools and, um, you know, children's care things that are have a kind of an emotional curriculum. And so it's happening. Mm. I, I, you know, it'd be great if it happened more. So do you feel that, like, obviously the... There's uh, out there in the world people are sometimes stuck with the notion of casual sex and relationship being the, the op- two opposite sides of the same coin. And um, There are people stuck everywhere, so yeah. That's <laughs> exactly. But um, I think uh, young people are having trouble with relationships, um, particularly in the we forget that we're human beings at the end of the day, whether it's relationships or whether it's casual sex, we forget that the simple act of touching or, um, or embracing or having sex, having an orgasm, all of these things access emotions that we sometimes don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel there's... Uh, hard. Is there a way... <laughs> I, I feel like I'm like, what can we do? What can we do, Betty? How can we sort of create a brand around feelings mm-hmm. being um, the thing that, you know, people are, you know, regardless whether it's casual sex or not, feelings will be present, whatever oh, whatever feelings that. there are. Because um, yeah. we're, we're, we're giving a simplistic idea to people around casual sex being meaningless Oh, yeah, right. And um, uh, people catching feelings. 
and and it and it's giving <laughs> unfortunately it's giving um, men a license to um, use the phrase this is just casual mm-hmm. thinking that just saying the words negates any energy they give out or any action they put out mm-hmm. and women are f- feeling victimized and in a way heart raped <laughs> mm-hmm. by people being close being intimate um but still not acknowledging that person's mm-hmm. presence or importance in the other person's mm-hmm. life so yeah it's probably a deep psychological thing to jump into at the end of our time but well it's it's unfortunate and i suspect that a certain amount of it is gender programming yeah and some of it may be biological brain function i don't i don't know but um Yeah, of course you're going to have feelings. That's what sex is for. Mm. Like, if if it was just procreation, it would be over in 30 seconds. Yeah. Just like, you know, I don't know, some other animal. Mm. But, but we have prolonged experiences of pleasure that are possible. Mm. And pleasure inherently bonds you to the people that you have it with. Yeah. It's our that's how our hormonal systems work. That's that's the key. Of course we have feelings about the people. Yeah. And add to that, I mean hopefully they're warm, pleasant feeling. Add to that that we have a fetish about romantic feelings. Mm. Or I have had it as a young person my fetish was romance. Mm. It took me, you know, many years to figure that out. But I think as a culture, too, we have this idea that a relationship with a capital R is about sex and romance and you're ex- exclusive and you're, like, you're focused on each other. Mm. And other kinds of relationships, friendships, for example, don't get quite the same respect. Mm. And we are always aiming for that one and only romantic connection that's going to save us from all of our distress. Yeah. We place it at the top of the hierarchy of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so as soon as we feel warm feelings for someone, we think, I'm in love with them. And you may be, you may not be, or they may just, you, you, yeah. Our, we're mysterious creatures ruled by our brain chemistry. Mm. I feel like, I feel like you've really, really encapsulated for me anyway the, um, the fact that pleasure is a bonding thing, just as mm-hmm. laughter, laughter is a bonding yes. thing, or Absolutely. just any mutually enjoyed experience is yes. a bonding thing. But we look at pleasure, the word pleasure, or we market it when we talk about pleasure-based sex. I think people mistakenly think of it as gratuitous pleasure, something I am taking from or giving to. But Mm. these two uh, things, um, we ignore the possible or probable bond of that thing and we become mm-hmm. totally confused therefore mm-hmm. when it happens naturally sure yeah it's a it's like mm-hmm. a dichotomy uh, something to overcome it's like well yes i can have casual lovers yes i can think of sex in a category of a pleasure thing but mm-hmm. it's also good to acknowledge that i have some kind of at some level a connection and a bond with the person I'm having this pleasurable experience Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. and I think people will give themselves the gift of the acknowledgement of that Mm -hmm. if they can do it Mm -hmm. without feeling that it obligates that person to graduate to being Mm -hmm. in a relationship yeah that makes sense yeah I I think too that we we want more I mean we want you know, this person we had a we had a great sexual encounter and it was really fabulous, and I want it again. Well, yeah. of course. Mm. Or and 
we want that person's attention on us. Yeah. And if they don't give us their attention, then that hurts. Yeah. Because, of course, we want someone's attention that mm. we like. Mm. Of course we do. I mean, that's how we are. And it's human nature to read yeah. the lack, lack of attention as rejection. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 uh, I, I'm, I'm. I do I not to... envy young people who are having hookup sex. Hey. I, mean, I do not envy young people who are, they, who are that, that have a, they, a cultural thing now about hookup sex that wasn't the case when I was around. Mm. But, um, I imagine that it's challenging. Mm. The best analogy I can think of on the, on the spot is that they're going shopping and mm. someone who is more cognizant of the potential of those experiences just comes home with a bigger bag full of more things. And the, <laughs> and the person who goes into this hookup culture not having, ex, not and when I say expectations, just an understanding of, mm-hmm. of the potential of that experience mm-hmm. is going to come home with a very light bag that might only have a couple of things in it if if anything and they're thinking well that wasn't worth the trouble or uh, they don't take it on board as a learning experience they just keep repeating the same experience expecting a different result because they don't recognize their their their, the pleasure uh in a way that is a a nourishing like a self-nourishing thing Mm -hmm. not just a a transaction of ego or am I sexy enough to yeah, look yeah. at? That's, yeah. I think, young people these days especially are going mm. into like if I if I look sexy enough, if I wear the right clothes and act the right way, then that's... I'll get attention. And the sexual experience is going to be pleasurable because this is, you know, they have no point of reference outside porno, pornography or mm-hmm. or what they've been told by people or expectations Mm -hmm. from particular people so that's where i is it any worse than being uh raised with this um you know restrictive nice girls don't do it until they're married and and if you do you're a terrible slut and like i'm not sure it's any worse i don't know (laughs) i don't know yeah it's i have no idea it's kind of the same i was only thinking about that recently because like when i asked my mum if i could go on the pill when i was 16 all she said was, oh, if you have to, but don't." that doesn't mean you can just go and open your legs for anybody. That was just, um, you know, and, and drumming into people, res- have respect, have respect, but we weren't really understanding what respect looked like or, or what well, it meant. Well, now, I'm not sure we do now. I mean, and like so many different things for my mother's generation, or uh, you know, the Beyonce put a ring on it. <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah, it's like um, respect equals love. Or if you have sex with me, you can't then come away from the experience thinking less of me. You have to think more of me, or some kind of yeah. equation that goes into respect. But now in my life, I think. I definitely have too much respect for myself to go and hook up with someone without coming away with my full bag of goodies, you know. (laughs) And everyone's goodies are different, but I think humanity has baseline goodies that we all need to sort of be, you know, making sure we've got. If you have other things, fine, but I think that basic human needs, pleasure, bonding, these are our primal instincts and we search for them as family members, we search for them as parents, we search for them as children. We always just want that comfort and belonging and all that sort of stuff that goes along with being physically engaged, Mm -hmm. um, holding hands, all of that sort of stuff. that's true. Mm. We have a basic human need for connection, affection, play, pleasure, touch. Um, yeah. Compassion. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff, all of the good stuff. Thank you so much. 
I can't, so I, can't be, I can't begin to thank you enough. I just feel my heart is exploding. I'm so grateful for having a conversation with someone that I feel gets it to the extent that I don't even get it, but um, only because I can't intellectualise it. I can't put it into words. I just feel mm-hmm. like some things you can't put into words. You just, I know I yeah. understand things and I know you understand things and I'm just glad that you felt... Which makes having a podcast kind of hard to get things in words. <laughs> it does. It's a, that's where the journalistic background helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the the early series that I did, I I took a lot of trouble to write it to yeah. make it listenable it as great. well as informative. But yeah. um, but at the end of the day, uh having a conversation you know that um people will pick out of the conversation what they will depending on what their attention span is like but but I just hope that um or I feel that the more people of our generation that are just so chill so relaxed so morally fine (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh because people will never see it coming for starters, uh, mm. when you when you when you do engage with people and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm really interested in sex," and people think, oh, "Hasn't it hasn't it got cobwebs by now?" Like what? <laughs> oh, I really? You? So I'm trying to <laughs> trying to change everyone's mind or or disrupt the yeah. conversation around so many different things. And yeah. I know I find it hard to temper my enthusiasm around it. You seem so relaxed. Well, you're you're um, uh, you're doing a great job of talking about it. It's really fun. Oh, um, thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, in the future, I love the look of your workshops and all that sort of stuff. So I can see myself, you know, trying to find time to engage in great. that. Um, because I don't want this to be the last I see you. No, <laughs> I think you're wonderful. <laughs> um, but, yeah, obviously I will include all of the information that people need to get in touch with you and to find Great. your book and Thank your you. website and all that sort of stuff. Um, and on behalf of everyone in the world, thank you for what you do. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, okay. thank you so much. I won't keep you. I know you're kind of, you have to go. It was fun to meet you. It was fun to meet you too. Thank you so much, Betty. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. that's how that went. It was warm and fuzzy, wasn't it? See what I mean by vulnerability? With the pop culture and social media version of sex positivity bombarding young people with fashion, cosmetic surgery, music clips, everything that reflects the ubiquity of porn culture mostly is what I find problematic because we're kind of forgetting the multitude of different facets behind the simple act of being tactile with each other, (laughs) which is what sex is, and how sometimes those facets can zero in on all sorts of emotions, positive, negative, confusing, compelling, repelling. They can be deep. There's there's consequences to what we do, and I just want us to put a little bit more thought into absolutely every part of it. There's a lot of stuff to unpack. <laughs> I'm going to tackle this consent conversation in all sorts of different ways over the next week or so. I'm not really sure how it's going to end, but I do know the direction it's going in thanks to Betty. It seems she came into my life at the right time. Um I'd love your feedback. I do receive feedback, but lately you've been busy. You've been preoccupied out there because I'm not getting as much feedback lately. So, yeah, drop me an email at the eloquent in the room at Gmail or pop a DM um, at me at social media at the eloquent in the room on Instagram and Facebook. My blog is due for an update soon. That's the eloquent in the room.com. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, rate, and share the podcast with all and sundry. Um, And you know what? Do follow me on Instagram because that's where I do most of my posts regularly, like with monotonous regularity. It's about the podcast updates and stuff, but also other stuff like last week I turned 59. 
So I decided I'm going to pay a year-long tribute to Kate Bush with... (laughs) um, I'm going to post a Reels video every week for the next 52 weeks. Well, actually, it's the next 51 weeks because I started last week. Um, And right up until I turn 60 this time next year. Because why not? Um, It's time to celebrate my life. So that's how I'm going about it. (laughs) And of all the artists that have impacted me, I'd have to say Kate has led the way. Just in front of Bowie and the Beatles and a few others, I could be here all day naming them. Um, But I can honestly say with the when I thought of the idea of featuring 52 different songs, it made it a no-brainer for me to pick her because of the degree to which I immersed in all her CDs. CDs? Don't you mean records, you old bag? Since she came into my life when I was 16. So I'm going to enjoy paying tribute to her and um, having conversations around those tunes for the next year. Who says I can't commit? (laughs) Two 16-year-long relationships, I can definitely fucking commit. Um, speaking of music, with these, uh, with this um, interview being mainly about skin contact, ultimately, kind of was, um, I decided to contact a gifted artist friend of mine who goes by the name of Wandering Minstrel who, in collaboration with a very cool band called Deep Sea Lights, created this wonderful music you're about to hear wandering minstrel recorded this to enhance their spoken word poem your skin breathes too so it seemed the perfect way to float our way out of this lovely chat i had with the beautiful betty don't forget to check my show notes for the links to this track these artists and how to follow them on social media and spotify and itunes and all that sort of jazz make sure you check out the clip that accompanies this track on youtube it is so trippy and dreamy and beautiful ah look you can thank me later um enjoy it and um i'll talk to you soon Before pieces of pressed paper and memories told you how much you were worth. Before you were taught your time was the only thing you could trade. Besides your body. Besides your voice. Besides your breath. You stand as it all swells around you. Forget that your skin also is alive and it takes on thousands of years of decisions and trapped code running around your blood, looking for a way out. So sometimes you scream, sometimes you cry, sometimes you sleep to both forget and remember. Your skin breathes too in its own time. Everything flows in. You forget there is a kind of fire in your eyes, a kind that never goes out. It is refueled by those that you love. It is lit by the trees you walk beside, the ground that stretches out in front of you. I was told the truth of who I was the other day by another that saw that I had forgotten. Sometimes I remember at the very core there is a tiger there, an owl that sits on my shoulders, the warrior that moves in silence, trusting. You were here before, before pieces of pressed paper and memories told you how much you were worth. And I see hope in your eyes, and I feel the warmth of your embrace. And I remember. I remember.
I remember 